Hello, welcome to People Are Politics. This is Kevin Ackley again here for another week. And this week we've actually got someone who is running for local elected office. And by that I mean I have Kara Glow, uh, who's running for Moorhead School Board. And yeah, I guess we'll just let you get to know her as we talk. So, Kara, how are you doing? Great. Thanks for having me, Kevin. Yeah, no problem. Um, so I guess um, just as like a, a brief disclaimer for everybody out there, like I am not a parent. Um, <laughs> uh, maybe, you know, someday that'll happen, but uh, it's not the case right now. So, you know, the things that we'll be talking about here will be um, a little bit from an outsider's perspective but also, you know, I am entrenched in a society where I do rely upon my fellow citizens to be educated. So uh, in that way, I do have a stake in this. But um, yeah, so just, I guess, keep that in mind as we talk here. Otherwise, yeah, um, I guess, Carol, you you didn't live here before you had children, correct, in, in the right. area? Um, so what, what made you interested in moving here um, and to raise your kids in the Moorhead School District? And then also, as an addendum to that, what made you decide to run for school board? Sure. So um, I am originally from a small town in the middle of South Dakota. And um, after, I, after my partner and I were married, we did a whole bunch of moving. We lived in Thailand for two years. The place that we lived immediately before moving to the FM area was California for a short couple of months. And then we moved here. So the reason we moved to the FM area is because I was pregnant with our second daughter. And we hadn't met a lot of people in California. So it was a little... We were a little unclear about what we were going to do when I went into labor. Like, was he going to stay home with our daughter or were we all going to go in together? What if it was in the middle of the night, you know? So um, the place, the company that he was working for in California, their main office was in Palo Alto. And then they randomly had another office here. And um, my partner's mother lives here. So and I'm from, you know, I'm from South Dakota. So Mm. we would be closer to family so that's why we came to the FM area. We lived in Fargo. Um, we rented a, a duplex in Fargo for a few months and then ultimately decided to move to Moorhead. So um, the reason that we moved to Moorhead was for the Spanish immersion program. Um, when we lived in Thailand, I taught English to preschoolers for a couple of years. And it just that really sold me on the value of language immersion programs because those kids just soaked it up and they did it like with so much joy that yeah, I you, you want to like actually describe that experience a little bit like you know in a little bit more detail just to because you know you were in a certain sense a teacher you sure. know um and I'm curious just also from a cultural standpoint what that sure. was like yeah I mean we so we lived in Thailand for two years and I taught the full two years um and I taught my first, the first year I taught three and four year olds, and the second year I taught two and three year olds. So it was just early childhood. Um, so it was, um, it was, it wasn't like teaching in America. Sure. Um, so I just want to make that super clear. I do not claim to like be a teacher. <laughs> um, but it, I mean, it was great. The kids in that we that we had at our school were super fun, and they really wanted to learn English they really wanted to be in our class and um I had lots of help from Thai teachers so that was really handy because I didn't speak a lot of Thai (laughs) um so it was like it was it was great it was like I got paid to play with children right Mm -hmm. like we focused on the alphabet and phonics and 
a few vocabulary words every day and then we played games and at the end of the week I would bring in candy because it was a really good motivator (laughs) (laughs) right if you knew the vocabulary words or if you knew the sounds of the letters right okay you you got candy yeah so it it was fun and there was lots of and Thailand was beautiful and Thai people are just so lovely they just bend over backwards to make you feel welcomed and you know it was it was really great um the uh, the boss at the school my my boss at the school that I worked at when I told her that I was pregnant with our oldest daughter her reaction was exactly what I would expect my mother's reaction to be I mean it was just like she cried and um there's a there's a cultural thing in Thailand that when you're pregnant like everything is supposed to be beautiful so it was like the next week there were painters at our house painting the outside of our house my deck was filled with um flowers you know potted plants um my favorite potted plants orchids (laughs) you know like everywhere and so it was just like when she she came she was the first person to visit me in the hospital and she like cried again she held Leona and yeah, so it was cool. it was a great experience. Yeah, totally. So if you haven't been to Thailand, <laughs> Can't and you and that. you have the ability, right? Yeah, it's mm-hmm. totally a bucket list place. Cool. So yeah, I guess then we can just shift back because you were talking about the Spanish immersion program right. and all that. Right. So. Okay. So after Thailand, we lived in California for a little while, and so because I was already sold on the idea of language immersion, I was doing some research around the programs that they had available in California and they had them they were $1,100 a month for two half days of preschool I was like okay because I you know when we were in when we were in California we were doing it on one income I was staying home with Leona um so that $1,100 I, you know, I wasn't super sure how we were going to do it. I was pretty dedicated to try and make it mm-hmm. happen, but I wasn't sure where that was going to come from. <laughs> so we moved here then, and I was pretty sure that that meant language immersion was not an option. Because, like, when I lived in the, in the Midwest, there was no language immersion options. Yeah, and honestly, like, because I, I grew up in this area, um, I had never even, like, heard of such a thing, really. You know, obviously it makes sense as something that would happen, you know, in the Southwest or something mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. But as far as I knew, that, that just didn't exist period here. Yeah. So. Yeah. And th- so that's what I thought too. Um, I, I knew that there were programs in Minneapolis. Um, but I just thought that those, you know, it was just not going to be an option for us here. And so, um, we moved here. I, you know, gave birth to our second daughter. We hung out in the duplex for a while. And I remember the day that someone, I, it was probably my mother-in-law, told me that um, there's a Spanish immersion program in Moorhead. And I was like, how much is it? And she's like, it's part of the public education system. And I was like, what does that mean? <laughs> she was like, it's free. And I was like, I'm, I'm sorry, what? Mm-hmm. It's It's what? <laughs> <laughs> and so my husband came home that day and I was like, we're moving to Moorhead. Right. Let's find a, let's find a realtor, you know, <laughs> like we, that was it. We're done. Like, cause we were, you know, we were deciding, we were trying to decide, should we live in like South Fargo or North Fargo or, you know, we had right. friends in different places, but that was, like, that was it. We're moving to Moorhead. And my uh, kids were getting into that school. <laughs> right. So we bought a house in, um, in Moorhead in the district of the school that has the program. And so when it was time to enroll our oldest daughter, 
I was um, like, I was ready to camp out the night before, right? It was the whole reason that we moved to Moorhead. My, like my kids were getting into that school. And um, I had a friend who worked at the school at the time. And so I was like, you know, what time, what time do I need to be there? And she was like, oh, if you just get there by seven, that will be early enough. And I was like, seven is when it starts. Mm-hmm. You can't be there at seven. She was like, no. And I talked to my mother-in-law and she kind of had the same advice. So I was like, no, these, that's not, I'm, I got, so I got there at 630 and I was the first one there. And then, um, the next person showed up at seven and I was really baffled, right? This mm-hmm. is free. This is saving you $1,100 a month at least. Right. Assuming that, you know, you value right. your kid get, developing a second language, you know. Right. Um, so, um, it, th- this kind of became like the, the point where I started thinking about running for school board because I started asking people so like just really briefly okay. how how many years ago was that like well uh two two okay I just didn't know you know nobody knows how old your children yeah. are and so yeah on, yeah so um two and a half maybe okay. you know because this was January the year before she could or the year that she could start so yeah so I was I was really baffled why there wasn't a line out the door and around the block and when I started asking my friends and people I knew, like, well, did you get your kid into Spanish immersion? Did you get your kid into Spanish immersion? The the responses I got were, well, we don't live in in the school's busing zone, so we can't get bused, and it just doesn't really work for our family. I think that that's a problem, right? If we like, So we have this really amazing programming, but depending on where you live in, in town – determines and and your amount of resources obviously well yeah and and you know in theory it's already been put in place as something that's intended to be a universal resource mm-hmm. because it isn't something that you know costs costs some kind of tuition or anything. right exactly so in that sense if it's supposed to be truly universal like transportation should figure into that in mm-hmm. some way or another mm-hmm. yeah and so you don't have to live in that school's like in that school zone, you can enroll from no matter where you live, but you can only get bused to school if you're in that right. busing zone. Um, and so, like, I just I feel like that's a problem because, and and to be clear, um, my partner works remotely, so we have the flexibility to like get people to where they need to go. Yeah, so I just feel like the people who have the resources, right, are always going to be able to figure out ways to get their kids to and from schools. And the kids who ha- are the people who have less resources then are, are not going to have that same flexibility. And then, you know, the gap. So then those kids who kind of already have that extra advantage are now getting this extra programming Mm -hmm. and the kids that don't have that extra advantage of having families that have more resources are not getting the extra programming so the gap just gets bigger and bigger well especially considering that again theoretically education is supposed to be like the great equalizer of Mm -hmm. our society Mm -hmm. it still isn't but like that if that's the goal we ultimately want to get to you know these are steps that we probably should be taking right yeah. Right. So that's, I mean, that was like really my catalyst. My, I was like, we're going to get some kids into Spanish immersion. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and, you know, like that being said, I totally recognize that Spanish immersion is not the end all and be all of public education. Like I'm really excited about it. But 
you know, not everyone is. And that's that's fine. Right. I mean, especially in the upper Midwest, it's probably not going to be as enticing to people as, right. like we said, the Southwest or whatever. Right. And, th- and that's totally fine. Like, and maybe kids don't want to be in it or I just like, if you want to be in it, I want to get you in it. Mm-hmm. And if you don't, then I want you to get bus to school in a safe manner. Right. Whichever school you choose. Right. So then I guess then let's broaden out. Like, you know, Spanish immersion was the, like you said, the catalyst. But what what else motivates you to run? Like, is there, you know, any other things that are specific or just uh, broad principles or whatever that you feel are not being addressed properly that, that you feel like you could? Mm-hmm. Sure. So, like, since I've been campaigning, since I've been door knocking, um, I have learned a lot of things, right? Um, I have heard regular, like, busing. The, I think the busing system in general in Moorhead needs some help, right? I had a, I had a mom reach out to me, single mom, um, who – so the, they have a rule in Moorhead that if you live within a mile of the school, then you don't – your children don't get bused to school. And that's for K through 12, no exceptions, right which is bananas mm-hmm. right because a kindergartner is five a mile for a kindergartner is right. insane yeah, yeah exactly in the winter especially in the winter <laughs> i wouldn't let my five-year-old walk a mile well you know what i mean there's probably just, period like, like by themselves or right exactly or, yeah exactly there's just so much like that c- could go wrong right there's so much that just just straight up distraction crossing roads mm-hmm. like right no I mean, I think that like a mile for a 16-year-old, that seems... It's a 20-minute walk. Right. You know, that, that seems legit. Yeah. But like a, not a five-year-old, not a six-year-old, not in 40 below. Like, yeah. Um, also, there's no exceptions for... Well, I don't know if there's no exceptions, but for particularly particularly for this mom, her, her son is on the spectrum. So, okay. uh, you know, just an extra, um, an extra kind of barrier for her. So she... <laughs> She told me what she had to go through to, like, get her kid, her son linked up with other kids in the neighborhood or to get him picked up because she works all day, you know? So it would be like, and and he he went to the neighbor's house afterwards and the neighbor, you know, they traded, they kind of traded daycare. Sure. But so to get, to get him back, it was like the neighbor's sister's best friend would pick them her kids up and you know the mom's kids up and right. bring them back um but sometimes like she had a she couldn't do it on one day and so then it was this whole other set of people right, right. or like if someone was sick it's just just so, too many extra hoops for just something yeah. as basic as getting your kid to school yeah so i think the busing system could be better for sure um at as I've been door knocking, then the thing that I hear the most about is, you know, basically comes down to like resources in schools. Like our teachers are doing all of the things, right? We don't have enough social workers. We don't have enough counselors. We don't have enough special ed teachers. We don't have enough gifted and talented teachers. So this means that our teachers are playing all of those roles, right? Right. As well as trying to teach lessons, plan lessons, teach lessons, set up their classrooms you know manage the discipline in their classrooms Mm -hmm. grade papers you know it's like all this stuff plus they're doing all of these other jobs right um and so we we need to support our teachers by 
you know, adequately staffing our schools. Right, and not just turning them into five staff members effectively. Yeah. Yeah, yeah and I mean, I, I, I understand that budget constraints are real, right? But, like, if we – if we lose teachers because they burn out or because, um, you know, because we have children with needs that are higher than we've seen in the past and so then we have discipline issues, we're, what are, you know, what's, right. the, what, how, what's our long-term goal? Exactly. I mean, and on top of that, like, the further you invest into – you, you know, an educational system, like, that does attract parents and, exactly. and so on. And then that yeah. is a taxpayer that will theoretically um, help make up for the... Right. Um, right. I yeah. yeah, I absolutely agree. I mean, I moved here right. it, that, yeah. for the education Example system, number one. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And it's it's really interesting because I, I think... I think that Moorhead could do a better job of, like, the school system could do a better job of telling its own story because I... I have, we've been here for about five years and I meet people, like I have talked to voters in Moorhead who did not know about the Spanish immersion program. I would imagine so. I mean, until I had talked to you about it personally, I don't think I knew about it at all. And again, I'm not a parent, but you know, it seems like something that's like, oh, that's a neat thing that the school system offers. But yeah. Um, So, you you know, you kind of talked about, um, you know, just generally staffing uh, mm-hmm. the the schools well from you know a non-teacher perspective but also like what do you think I don't know what the average like class size is in Moorhead but what what do you feel um, you know they should be like how sure. I don't know what you uh, grew up in but I, I I think the class sizes for really all the way kindergarten through 12th grade was somewhere you know approaching 30 in most of my classes mm-hmm. Um and, you know, when I got to college, they were – I went to MSUM, and for the most part, you know, there was a couple auditorium classes, but for the most part, I would say my um, classes ranged from 8 to 20, you know. Um, so yeah. that was a, a drastic improvement. It mm-hmm. felt not just like, you know, you could get more tension or anything like that, but it also felt like um, you felt more involved in the mm-hmm. class um, mm-hmm. because you couldn't slip into the – you know, the bushes of right. the students, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I guess I'll let you um, kind of say your piece on that. So I had a completely different experience, a completely opposite. I'm from a very small town. So mm-hmm. um, my class, I um, first through 12th, was the biggest class in the school, and it was 50 people. And they, they broke it into two sections, right? So there were two first grades, too. So um, 25 people. Um. And then I went to the University of Minnesota, where there were 400 students in a class. Mm-hmm. So opposite. But um, I do I do think that there is lots of value in having smaller class sizes. Um, and I know that I know that the district is working on that. You know, I think Moorhead is growing mm-hmm. like faster than um, we have anticipated. Not by much, but still. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's like there's. Sp- there's spatial challenges, right? Like we we have built a couple schools, and that's good. We needed to do that because you can't pack kids in classes like sardines and then expect right. good educational outcomes. Um, and we still have to, we're still sort of research researching the what we should do with the high school because we don't have 
a lot of time left with that building. At, I mean, we're going to be at capacity very mm-hmm. soon in that building. Um, so, I mean, yeah, I would like to see class like K, you know, elementary K through like fifth or whatever, like 19, 17 or 18 or 19, you know, like. Right. Um, and then maybe, you know, maybe up to 27 in the middle schools and then maybe like 30 in high schools. Okay. Like that, that, I think that would be a nice size. Um, and I th- and like I said, I think the district is working on, on that um, just not last Monday, but the Monday before they added an extra section of kindergarten to take classes from like 27 to a, like 18 or something like that. OK. And then they added an extra another first grade session section to, you know, to, again, bring down the sizes. So I, th- I think that they're working on that. So I think the district recognizes that smaller classrooms are good right right or best okay uh well i guess that's uh heartening to hear um so i guess you know you kind of touched on you feel like they're going the right direction on that but what do you feel you know is something that like the district does that needs to be corrected or even as you feel is they're in the total wrong direction uh, on it is there any anything major that you feel um needs addressing i mean besides the staffing levels Right. And the busing. Those are kind of my two big. I mean, I do. I have I have talked to people. OK, yes. I have talked to people since I've been out um, door knocking who have brought up. So a few people more than, you know, more than one who have brought up the disproportionate number of students at Red River Alternative School. Um, so just to just to be super clear, though, is that effectively like because we call that a community high school in uh when I went, I went to West Fargo High School. Um, it's like either kids with disciplinary issues or, yeah. or things like that. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, before I talk about this, I, I want to state for the record that I think that the work that they're doing at, at Red River Alternative High School is amazing, right? They are really um, working to find a schedule that works for kids and for, you know, kids who have these other, other needs. Um, they are giving them class credit for work you know they're helping them um, take classes that count both towards their high school diploma and college credit I mean they're like working on technical education they're the work that they're doing is good right it's important it's valuable and I and I do think it's really important that we don't stigmatize it right because kids who leave that school leave with a diploma like everyone else so for the record but I have talked to people who have said that they think it's you know that that they are concerned about the disproportionate number of kids of color who end up in that school so while the education is good and the programming is great and they're doing this really good work I do think that we we have this opportunity to look at why that's happening Mm -hmm. right why are we filtering um, kids of color into this other school rather than looking at ways to keep them involved right. in the in the main school or whatever. right yeah that's interesting because i i mean i to me it speaks to broader systemic issues right. that are not just going to be um fixed in the school sy- school system or even just fixed in moorhead like they, mm-hmm. they need you know way broader like national attention but i mean if there are people on the school board that are paying attention to things like that you know, hopefully, you know, there can be um, at right. least some uh, effective 
changes that are made at every stop along the way. Right, right. You know? Right, and I think that, that, that like that's a really good point. I would, I'm curious to explore if there are systemic issues within the school that are sort of exacerbating, right, the systemic right. Es- issues in, like, the world. Right, yeah, that's really interesting. So, may, you know, maybe you can probably speak to this more than I can, but so what is the difference um, or what is the relationship between the um, Department of Education at the national level and school boards locally? I don't feel like I'm an expert on this. Um, I'm going to tell you my perception. Mm -hmm. The school board locally makes policies for the school system, right? Like they approve the handbook. They approve approved policies around school lunches and stuff like that and I think that the way the Department of Education works is I think that the Department of Education is mostly mostly impacts colleges and universities so like they get Betsy DeVos just reversed the Obama era regulations on prosecuting rape in colleges right so like they um and you know I don't know like one of the first things Trump did was disregard the the Obama instructions on how to handle transgendered bathroom issues mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know so I think that they have they like advise schools on large sort of legal and it's really interesting because they say advise so I don't know what it, the it, legal right ramifications are I would imagine you know some of that is going to be in the same way that you know the president, uh, they staff their cabinet and so that they make those people will make decisions as effectively proxies for mm-hmm. the president's uh, agenda. I would imagine that that cabinet head would do similar things in not only, you know, changing the general way that the um, administration approaches particular things like the bathroom issue mm-hmm. or, or campus assault and so on, but uh, also they they end up probably staffing people as proxies at different regional levels mm-hmm. you know I, I have no idea <laughs> but I, that's how I can envision it working you know it's right right that's my general sense too I mean I just I guess I just don't I don't know what happens if a school doesn't follow the advice mm-hmm. right like right and do you know the level to which there is communication between school boards and I, department of education or is I it ba- basically none you know I, I guess I don't know I don't know okay yeah I mean I, I guess my impression is that it's basically none Sure. You know, that, like, they just issue these blanket statements and right, and then that's it. But I, I don't know. I don't know for sure. And, well, so then to that end, what what um, purport, or portion of the responsibility is it on the school board to determine curriculum versus, you know, if that's the Department mm-hmm. of Education issue versus? I, I think that there are a lot of state regulations around curriculum, Um I don't I I don't think that the school board specifically does a lot with curriculum. I think that like that's administration. This like school administration does a lot of that and like mm-hmm. teach I think the teachers like I think that there's like a a working group, right? And they um they have parental involvement, parental input, but then ultimately I think that the the way it works, I think I think is that um, you know the administration and the teachers and the parents get together and they kind of do this research and then they kind of make a presentation to the school board and the school board a- approves it. Right. Okay. 
So I guess, you know, you talked about school lunches a little bit, but let's talk about, um, you know, you have these categories of issues on your website. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I guess I'll just introduce them by category and I'll let you speak about what that means to you. Okay. Um, but the first category that you have listed is supporting teachers. So I'll let you just explain mm-hmm. what you think that means. Yeah, so I feel like every year we ask teachers to do more and more with less and less, and educational outcomes are just bound to start falling through the cracks. So I would like to see more paras in classrooms, more counselors, more social workers, more special education teachers, more gifted and talented teachers. I mean, more grown-ups in our schools, more help, right? That's right. Um, that's the kind of support I would like to see for them so that they can focus on teaching our students Mm -hmm. and i guess under that umbrella would you include like supporting teachers union slash the wages that they uh earn Mm -hmm. every year and so on yeah i mean i think that in order to make moorhead like a super competitive and educational destination which i think is probably the goal of every school board right we have to we have to attract and retain the best talent and we can't do that if we aren't paying competitive wages and if we don't have competitive benefits. If people can't find some sort of work-life balance in right. Moorhead, they're going to go and find it somewhere else. Right. And, and we kind of talked about this um, before the show, but a lot of teachers are barely even making a living wage. And I don't know to the degree to which that's the case in Moorhead, but there's so many teachers or I guess ex-teachers that gave up teaching because they couldn't afford to live Mm -hmm. like that. And um, if we want to, I guess, again, sustain the workforce that keeps our society from being just, you know, a bunch of cavemen Mm -hmm. walking around, Mm -hmm. um, then, you know, it it seems like a reasonable investment to make to not just skim bare bones as possible. Right. I agree. Yeah. Um, Okay. So the next one is uh, educational equity. So this is kind of a, big blanket term right but I do think that hiring more staff is going to help with educational equity right I do think that reevaluating the busing system is going to help with educational equity my my main goal with this is to make sure that every student regardless of you know their family socioeconomic status or um, country of origin or any anything that every kid from Moorhead gets a really solid foundational education, you know, um, so that they can leave high school and either be ready to go into the job force because that's going to be what some children ch- or students, I suppose they're mm-hmm. not children at that point, <laughs> what some students choose to do, right? College is not going to be for every kid. Technical school is not going to be for every kid. So we have to like, we have to be prepared to give kids all of the options, right? So some of them, we'll be preparing some of them to go into the workforce. We'll be preparing some of them for a trade school. We'll be preparing some of them for um, a four-year, you know, college degree. But no matter what, they'll leave with a strong, like, educational base. Mm -hmm. Um, Okay, so uh, number three, then, is school lunches. School lunches. Let's just feed kids at school. Mm -hmm. How about that? Um, So this summer... I organized a fundraiser called the PB&J School Lunch Fundraiser. I partnered with Junkyard Brewery and um, a small group of concerned parents. 
and we raised over $3,000 to help pay off some of the school lunch debt. So let's pause there. School lunch debt. There is such a thing. People mm-hmm. are surprised to hear that. Um, so the, the way this fundraiser came about was somebody had mentioned to me an article in the paper about school lunch debt and asked why Moorheads was so much more than Fargo and West Fargo. And I hadn't seen the article, so I, you know, did a Google search. And the first article that I found was from 2015. And it was um, from Valley News Live. Gotta love them. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And the reporter had contacted Moorhead, Fargo, West Fargo, and asked about school lunch debt. And what I know now Maybe I shouldn't tell you what I know now. Maybe I should just tell you the story first. Okay, so um, Moorhead's school lunch debt was way bigger than Fargo and West Fargo's. Like Fargo and West Fargo's were like $800, $900. And um, Moorhead's was like $55,000. And so the reporter just was like off the rails about it, right? She like, but I mean, so the the article goes on to explain that um, Fargo and West Fargo um, serve alternate meals to students when they don't have enough money in their account. And an alternate meal means a cold sandwich and a cup of fruit. Mm-hmm. And in Fargo and West Fargo, if you can't pay your athletic fees, you don't get to play. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, in Moorhead, oh, also in Fargo and West Fargo, they send their debt to debt collectors. Okay. Right. So in Moorhead... There is no alternate lunch. You get the same meal. It's You get a hot meal, whether you have money in your account or not. Um, they didn't send their debt to collectors. And they let kids play in sports. Mm-hmm. So, so like that fell under the umbrella of the school lunch debt, or was it just part of the broader yeah, investigation? Okay, so so I think it, it, was just, it was just school debt. Sure. This article is just about school okay. debt. Um. So I'm like, way to go, Moorhead. Right. But this particular article, the reporter just railed the the assistant superintendent um, about like the fiscal nature of it. I mean, it was bananas. She in 2015, we were um, the Moorhead was trying to pass a bonding bill. And so she was like, do you think that you should be asking voters to to pass this bonding bill when you can't even collect this lunch debt? But there's still nearly twenty thousand dollars in uncollected lunches and books. Shouldn't don't you think the district should look at a way of trying to recover that money by using? Again, that? again, we feel that uh, working with those families and trying to recoup that is uh, the best way, from a relationship standpoint, to handle that. So and and we do our best, but you know some are going to go uncollected. That's just the way it is. And so the district, the taxpayers, just end up paying for that, correct? Um. You can interpret it as that, yes. Viewers that are watching this tonight are going to be thinking, especially sure. if they live in Moorhead, there's an upcoming bond referendum vote coming. And the district wants millions of dollars and wants me to say yes and give them millions yep. of dollars. How are they able to handle that money if they can't recoup the loss of nearly $20,000 in lunch and book fees? Well, I think it's important to understand that uh, these fees that, that we're talking about here, um, we, we, we continue to work. That's why we're getting these, uh, that's why you see these numbers are still on the books. 
Um, we continue to try to work with these families. I then asked, should a debt collector be considered so the district doesn't have a high amount of debt? Well, maybe we'll look at our philosophies in terms of debt collecting. Okay. But, but right now, this is, this is the policies that we have in place. And I just like, flames, right? Mm -hmm. like, um, I was like, no, no, this is not going to be how we end this conversation. This is not going to be the last thing we talk about for this conversation. And then, so that's why I decided to hold it. You know, I wanted to do something to, to like let, to make sure the school knows that I really appreciate that they didn't send their debt to debt collectors, right. that they fed children, that they let children play sports. You know, mm -hmm. there's some kids who probably only come to school because they get to be involved in the after school activities. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, so, you know, you talk about West Fargo, like, that's that's where I went to high school, and there was people on the income-based lunches, um, which I wasn't on. But that also meant that if I didn't have money in my account, I just didn't eat for the day. Oh. And you know, like that that didn't happen terribly often, but it did happen. You know, it, it, even if it was just a matter of forgetfulness, like I forgot yeah. to deposit deposit the lunch check. Um, so my you know my philosophy on that is just like, you know, in the same way we don't make um, parents or uh, people, uh, yeah, specifically parents, uh, pay out of pocket for the textbooks. Eating is just as like fundamental to an I education. Uh, pay out of pocket for them? I, I don't think. Well, at least at my high school, we didn't. Uh, as far as I know, like my par my parents never wrote a check for textbooks or anything like that. It was just part of the education. Oh, maybe it's only if you don't return the textbooks. That's probably that's true. that's probably mm -hmm. what it is. Okay. Um, but, um. Or, or I don't even know. Like you, you can even broaden it out to a different way. Like I don't pay for um, the desks, you know. And, yeah. You know, like that. That's just as fundamental to my education. Actually, mm -hmm. I would say eating is more fundamental mm -hmm. to an mm -hmm. education than a desk is. And um, yet we see that for some reason as um, you know the, the specific parents' responsibility right. when you just can't expect a kid to learn. Um, if they don't have something yeah. feeding their brain. And that's, isn't it so interesting? Because if you, if, like, if you really want to follow this down the fiscally responsible rabbit hole, where our tax dollars are going to educate these children and think about how much less efficient those tax dollars are working if the, if the children are starving. Right? right. If they can't concentrate because they're hungry, then those tax dollars that we already paid or not right it makes the rest have. of them moot you know yeah. effectively yeah yeah um so i guess yeah i mean what what do you say i mean i guess that would be part of it but what would you say to a parent like i, I assume you have had run across parents when you've been knocking on doors or whatever that say well you know then the parents won't learn you know to be responsible for mm -hmm. their kids or whatever i don't know if you've seen that in person you see it on facebook yeah. comments and things like that um but yeah, there is a weird section of um, our society that that um, mm. thinks that parents won't. I don't know what the the, yeah. the idea is. If they won't love their children, they won't know. They won't feel like they're taking care of their children, or they won't take care of their children if the government will just do it for them. Right, right. The it's kind of the lazy parent argument. Um, I haven't talked to a lot of people like that. Um, but I guess what I would say if I did talk to them was. Is it the child's fault? Like, I don't, I don't think that this is an issue of lazy parenting. 
I think it's an issue of resources. Um, but it's almost irrelevant, right? Right. What, what, the, what the parental reasons are. Should we feed kids at school or not? Right. We should. Should we do everything we can to help kids get a good education or not? We should. Yeah. I mean, I brought this up last week, uh, or I guess it was two weeks ago now, on the immigration episode, um, just regarding, you know, parental responsibility versus the welfare of children. And, you know, even if you do take the tack of, like, well, you know, if we don't punish the kids effectively, right, exactly. uh, the, the parents will never learn. It's like, okay, like, parental responsibility, got it, like, whatever. What about the kid? Like, yeah. the kid still has to live their own life regardless mm-hmm. of whether or not their parents you know are you know responsible quote unquote or whatever right. so I, I, to me it just seems like a no-brainer regardless of whether or not you you know look down upon those parents right and it, it's so interesting too because you know we talk a lot about how to help serve kids we have to you know make connections with them and make sure they know you know that people care about them this is especially um you know, this especially comes up when we're talking about mental health issues in schools. And I don't, I don't disagree with that. But it's interesting how those same arguments don't also apply when you're talking about feeding children, right? right? Like, I care about you. I would like to see you eat. Mm-hmm. Just as a, as a general statement and right. as part of our education, it right. should almost be like taken for granted in a certain sense. Right, yeah. right. Yeah. Let's just feed kids in school. Yeah. Let's just do it. Um, okay. So uh, I guess we can move on to the next one. And that one is shaping the future. So what, what yeah, does that so, mean? Yeah. There are a lot of changes um, sort of in the, in the immediate, in the not too distant future for Moorhead. We are going to need a high school solution, whether, um, you know, the, the kind of options that, are, that I've heard are, do we build another high school? So now we have two. Um, do we expand the current high school or could we do something like sort of like magnet schools? So we have sort of buildings, multiple buildings, multiple sites, right? Where like maybe the high school is the main for general campus, education. Yeah, yeah, the main campus. And then there are places, there's, there's like a building for technical education or arts or, you know, science and technology, stuff like that. Um so right now there is a task force studying what students look like who are prepared for jobs, you know, in, in like for now in these current times. What do what do co- what do high school students need when they graduate to be competitive in the world? So that's coming up. Um, also, we will be looking at uh, probably hiring a new superintendent unfortunately the superintendent that we have is is ill so um likely we'll be retiring so that will be you know another consideration so i mean i think that i want to be a part of those decisions i want to um you know kind of make sure that we are really thinking for forward right are we getting the best people are we you know doing our due diligence are we thinking about all of the you know all of the perspectives long term short term yeah 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 so that's what that means especially you know my kids are four and six so we have um, a long relationship with the school ahead of us (laughs) 
But I mean, I'm, I, I mean, I, that, that's true. But I'm not, I'm not just doing it for, for my children. You know? Right. I mean, although they are important. <laughs> what, uh, you know, in talking about the, uh, the potential for a new high school and whatever, what is, what is the enrollment currently at the Moorhead's High School? Do you know? I don't remember it off the top of my head, but I remember that it is, I want to say it's like tw- approximately 1,200 students and the max is like 14 or something okay. like that. And that, to be, f- to be clear, you know, right now the high school is an open campus. So it's not like there are 1,200 students on campus all, all the time. So we're not And also, as, how many grades are, is it just 10 through nine, 12 or 9 through 12? 9 through 12. Okay. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's not quite as, like, the it's not as immediate as it sounds, right? We're not like next year we're going to be right um, needing a new high school. We will technically probably have more students enrolled than what the capacity is, but they won't all, you know, be there at the same time. So, Right. I mean, the reason why I ask is because, like, West Fargo went through similar things when I about the time I was graduating from high school. Um, for most of my time at West Fargo, uh, there were about approximately 1,600 kids at the school, and we were 9th through 12. Then my senior year of high school is when the 9th grade center, which eventually became the second high school, the 9th graders all moved there, so that immediately dropped about 400 kids from the school, mm-hmm. and it was very noticeable how much more space you had sure. at, at the school and whatnot. Um, so yeah, it went down to about 1200 and my graduating class was 350, something to that effect. So 1200 to 1400, you know, that's inching and like, yeah, we probably need to, but it doesn't feel like, you know, alert, alert, danger, you know. um, But it's something that like is definitely, we're going to have to do something about. It's not something you can just like kick the can down the road. You do have to start thinking about it before it gets to be a problem. Right. And I, and I think that it's good that we, you know, that the process has already started because I mean, what we're talking about is finishing this research, um, coming to a decision uh, and then likely having to go to the voters mm-hmm. and say we need to do this thing now to you know make room for all of the high school students we need to serve then they will have to approve that or... yeah and so like i guess also um they also have to approve the funding mechanism for that so like mm-hmm. uh one the, th- the thing that always was proposed for west fargo when we voted on it was increasing the sales tax by like 0.5 percent mm-hmm. or something to that effect do you, if if they're whatever they ultimately come, if it's another high school or whatever, do you have a preferred funding mechanism for that? No, I I don't know. I don't feel like I know enough about all of the options. Um, I think the way it's done now is through property taxes. Okay. Which um, is not ideal, mm-hmm. especially like um, I know I, there it's like the. The potential solutions are really that are pretty controversial, right? Mm-hmm. In Moorhead, there are some people who absolutely do not want two schools. Mm. They absolutely do. Yeah, not. that was the case in West Fargo too. Mm-hmm. But that also was felt like a legacy reason. Like, uh, my, I went to West Fargo. You know, I want yeah, my kids to go to West Fargo. There's some of that, but there's also some really solid arguments for that, right? Like, um, I, the idea of two schools makes me really uncomfortable because the only place to put a new school is like South Moorhead, right? Mm. So then we're going to have a, a weird division of resources, right? One school is going to have is, – is going to be in the part of town with the most 
the highest socioeconomic status and one school right. is going to not you know it's like be, davies versus e- fargo south exactly yeah. that's exactly what's going to happen and so i don't i don't love that idea mm-hmm. um and i've i've talked to moorhead residents who feel the exact same way you know um I talked to a guy the other a, a while ago who was telling me about a conversation he had with the football coach who came to Moorhead from Fargo and said he came here because it, there was one school because on the football team there's every kind of person right there's mm. there's kids who sleep in their cars with their families um there are kids from every like eth- you know racial, racial background yeah, and, that, and right, there yeah. are you know right rich kids and but when they like right are on the team they're they're like family right so in the in this case they're doing a really great job preparing kids for life outside of moorhead or right. out in the world because it's not segregated in really right. any way right yeah. and if and i so i just worry that if we build a second high school that's what's going to happen even even if we find the greatest um funding mechanism right to make the resources even mm-hmm we're still going to have like that kind of disparity. Yeah. Yeah. Some, a a majority of, you know, certain kids are going to be at one school and a majority of the other kids are going to be at the other school. And then we're not, then we're not doing as well. Yeah. I mean that, yeah, that is a serious thing to consider that, you know, I'm always, I guess I've always been um, aware of, but didn't immediately enter my head when I was, you know, asked Mm -hmm. the question. So that, Yeah. uh, yeah. Yeah. So like I said, I don't really know enough about it, but I, I, I see fundamental flaws with the property tax, mm-hmm. you know. And the sales tax has similar issues that, you know, again, it's not progressive. It's mm-hmm. a, it's going to actually disproportionately affect uh, yeah. the people of lower means because mm-hmm. um, they're going to be affected by spending, you know, much mm-hmm. more. So, yeah, it's, yeah. It, I think property taxes would be fine if it could be like it all goes into one pot and then we divide it equally, mm-hmm. that would be better. But I don't think that that's the way it works. It's going to be that, like, your neighborhood. Yeah. yeah. And that, that that is really a fundamental flaw in funding for education mm-hmm. just across the country. Yeah. Um, and it ends up with those educational disparities that yeah. we're talking about. Okay, so next one is school board transparency. Yeah, so the school board in Moorhead does not – record and broadcast their school board meetings like fargo does i believe at least they record them i don't know if they fargo school board does fargo city commission does moorhead city council does like i think maybe every other right you know taxing authority in the world maybe (laughs) c-span or public access or something Yeah. yeah and you know I think that a school board's one of the school board's goals should be to increase parental participation. And so to do that, you should be removing barriers, you know, allowing parents to participate in whatever way they can. And so, you know, coming to a school board every other Monday, it's coming to the school board meeting. Like, of, of course, we want people to come to the meeting, mm-hmm. to participate in the meeting, to share their thoughts and opinions in the meeting. But that is not a feasible expectation. Right. Right. People have child care issues or transportation issues or just scheduling issues. So, you know, we we should be doing more to bridge those gaps so that parents can 
know what's going on in their schools. Right. So just as simple as that is just at least record them, put it on YouTube or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Um, and then I guess lastly is uh, for those categories is uh, serving chi- ch- serving children better. Yeah. So, okay. Um, that is, I, I think that we are seeing children with higher needs than we have in the past. And we have this strange expectation that schools are going to like magically fix it or at least like magically fix it during the school day, right? Which is bananas. Mm-hmm. Kids have, um, you know, the, the challenges that some of our students are facing daily are like the same challenges that our whole community is facing, right? So like food insecurity or a parent addicted to opioids, they're not going to come to school and leave those things on the doorstep. And, and schools, sh- like, it is a really unrealistic expectation that schools are just going to manage that on their own. So I think that the schools are an, an important partner, but they, you know, they can't, they shouldn't be expected to do it on their own. So we need to, I really, I have been researching, like, the full-service school model, and I, like, I, I think I love it. So it's where, you know, the schools will partner with, like, county social services. So, like, you know, maybe maybe Clay County Social Services would open up an office in all of our schools. So then we have a social worker from the county at our schools. They are there in the event that um, a child needs them immediately, but also, you know, they can kind of identify which children's families or which children might need help in their family life or might need mental health services. Mm-hmm. And then those social social workers can connect them in those ways, right? We need to, um, so I just, and I feel like we, like, so we need to work with the city of Moorhead. The school system is not going to fix homelessness. Right. So we, you know, we need to work with the city of Moorhead to build, to work on affordable housing we need to work on you know like like i said work with clay county social services um work yeah, with I, I feel you know not to uh get on a tangent of this but i mean i'm sure if people are regular listeners they know that i think housing needs to be just a right straight up mm-hmm. but again especially like about the kid like the kid yeah. needs a house or needs yeah. shelter of some kind it is part of maslow's hierarchy of yeah, needs absolutely. it's basic um, anyways, sorry to derail no, that, no, but yes. No, but I mean, I just, I, I, I think that like we need these, we need, if we're going to tackle these, you know, kind of large systemic, super complicated issues, we're not going to do that as a school alone. So we need to, we need to start like big vision. How do we, if we want students to come in here and be successful, what do they need to be able to do that? They need housing, they need food, they need, um, you know, parental stability. So, like, if we, we if we need to work with Clay County to increase um, access to, like, addiction services or, you know, find jobs, help, you know, do a better job employing people, those, those are the kinds of things that are going to help the kids come to school and be ready to learn. Right. Or even just, like, straight up therapy at the right. school like not just you know school counselor is one thing and that you know counselor is a little bit um can be a little bit tricky of a, a not quite a misnomer but it you know it's not qu- the same thing as a therapist it's mm-hmm. it's a little mm-hmm. bit more of like an advisor mm-hmm. um and 
yeah, I mean, there was definitely times, especially in high school, it's like, I, I think back about being in high school and I, you know, I feel like, you know, relatively confident that I had depression <laughs> in high school mm-hmm. and I didn't know it. Mm-hmm. Um, I just felt like I was, you know, a teenager or sad or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's, that's the best way of putting it. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, like, that's not, I, I feel like if that resource would have been available to me, I mean, I always thought about like a lot, so many of my decisions as a youth were made based upon the assumption that my parents couldn't afford it. Even though my parents, like they weren't, we weren't in a poor household by any means, but like I chose the tenor saxophone in band in sixth grade because it was the one like school provided instrument that wasn't percussion. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, there was some, like there was many, uh, activities that I might have like thought about pursuing but it would just been one more activity fee that mm-hmm. like um instead of you know I was in football for a while and then I was in like a technology club and so on these things uh I don't know there, there's so many kids that are thinking about these things in a more moment to moment level than even just I was and uh they, then they were afraid to ask for mm-hmm. them too mm-hmm. so yeah that's the way I think about it yeah. And so I don't I don't think that the like I don't think that um these you know these broad coalitions I I also don't think that it like lets the school off the hook. Right? I'm not suggesting that we partner with Clay County Social Services and then not hire any of our own social workers or not hire any of our own mental health professionals, right? I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that like we need to do both. Mm-hmm. We need to have broad coalitions so i think i like i i'm not sure that i have been as clear about that um as i should be so thank you for the opportunity to do that because i know that there there are issues right with um sometimes with partnering with outside agencies when you work at a school you sign a contract so you you know you know that that person is going to be there for at least a year right um where sometimes outside organizations don't have that same kind of um, structure so or certainty right like, right yeah so it's 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 not great and it's probably counterproductive to bring in counselors or social workers who like leave in six months mm-hmm. right because now you have students building relationships building trust and then those people are gone mm-hmm. so i'm not i'm not saying that this that schools shouldn't do any of those things I'm just saying, like we need we need to do our part, as well as expect help from the city of Moorhead, Clay County, the state of Minnesota, church, you know, local churches and nonprofits. Like we all have to work together if we're going to tackle these like really big systemic issues. Mm-hmm. And we need to if we're going to do a great job educating students. Right. It's not just show up to class, do the right. homework, and you're good. Like there's. <laughs> People are complex beings. Right. Yeah. Um, okay. So we ran through all those. Um, let's talk for a little bit just about um, how we know each other. Okay. Um, so we met, I guess, in March-ish, something like that, um, because we both attended a DSA meeting. And um, DSA, for people who don't know, is the Democratic Socialists of America. So um, I already, you know, feel people, we, you know, we've done an episode on this, but going, oh, boy, like, there's a candidate for office that is a member of uh, DSA. Um, so I guess, uh, you know, I'll just give you a, an opportunity to, to explain 
what does uh, being part of a group called the Democratic Socialists of America mean to you? Like, mm-hmm. why would you ever label yourself such a thing mm-hmm. or participate? Um, so I didn't really know anything about Democratic Socialists until Bernie, which I feel like is probably not that uncommon. But right. there are people in our group who have known about Democratic Socialists for years. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Bernie's message just really resonated with me. You know, like we need to do a better job of taking care of people. And I think that anywhere you look right now, you can see how true that is. Um, And so that's, you know, that's why, that's what it means to me. It means a better system of taking care of people. It means leaving, not leaving people behind, you know, bringing people along. Um, Which is like absolutely fundamental to sort of my whole worldview or my whole self view for forever mm-hmm. i would I, I i like to i i tell people when <laughs> sometimes you know my family who's you know not quite as liberal as i am <laughs> um or you know just just people who know of of us they'll you know ask me care how did how'd you how'd you end up like this and i think it's because um when my parents told me that everyone was equal, I really believed it, you mm-hmm. know? And I think I was a feminist even before I knew what that, that there was a word for such a thing. Right. So this is just, I was just born this way. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I, so I like, um, you know, bringing that back to like the school lunches, um, it's not just uh, a matter of whether or not your parents can afford it. Right. It's like, Kids deserve to eat, period. Yeah. That's like, that is one instantiation of, you know, DSA, a DSA worldview in practice. Yeah. Um, so it's not like, you know, uh, this scary, like, right. um, sort of thing. It's just merely about, like, um, broadening how we think about, like, you know, what does um, the government do in service of the people? Mm-hmm. Like, um not just as, you know, this broad authoritative force, right. you know. Right, and I feel like it's also about, like for me anyway, it's also about who deserves dignity and why, you know. Like, so if you were born into a wealthy family, somehow mm-hmm. you deserve more dignity than someone who just by the same roll of the dice was born with less resources, that doesn't make any sense to me. Right. Um, Bernie, like, every time the healthcare debate comes up, he'll tweet about how, like, the simple, what you know, what it comes down to is that poor people don't deserve to die any more than rich people right. do. Um, and, you know, again, when you extend that out to other essentials, um, you know, whether it's regarding education or eating or whatever, um, these are, it's, it's, again, it's a matter, especially when it comes to children, that th- these people, by economic circumstance, don't deserve less. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there can you can have uh, nuanced opinions about, like, the other luxuries and things, but um, it's like, if, if we all of a sudden could put oxygen for sale... Yeah, um, I, I you know I feel like a lot of the people that are voting for Trump's health care and stuff, they would allow people to 
to bottle it and mm-hmm. um, deprive you of it if, even though you need it. Mm-hmm. Um, but for some reason, when it comes to the other essentials of life, um, we allow people to right. privatize those and, and, and hoard those resources when other people need them just as much as they do. Right. Yeah, I mean, I just think it's a better, you know, it's a better way. We can do better. Mm-hmm. We can take care of more people. We can, and not because people are lazy and not because people aren't working, but because it's unfair. The system is unfair. And life is extremely hard inherently. We don't right. need to make it systematically right. harder for people. Right. Yeah. All right. So hopefully that uh, assuaged uh, mm-hmm. the fears of some people. Um, so I guess just finally, you know, we've kind of um, gone through your whole philosophy and, and um, platform. But so then having not seen the forum from uh, last night, and I would imagine a lot of people that um, are listening to this aren't going to research to the T every um, candidate. What is it that sets you apart from the other candidates? And I'll, I'll pose this to you. Who would you vote for if you were not running? Mm, that's a good question um okay i think well i think one of the things that sets me apart is um you know i've i've done some stuff i've taken some some taken some concrete steps to like solve some of the issues right like i organized that fundraiser i put my money where my mouth is already (laughs) Um, so there's that. You know, I can I can point to that and say we raised over three thousand dollars to help pay off school lunch debt. We we raised awareness about food access in schools because do you know how many people who said to me during during that fundraiser and even now that I'm door knocking that they had no idea about you know that kids aren't eating at school. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know we celebrated the the great work that the Moorhead food services department is doing every day they and and they are like they are bending over backwards to make sure that students who are enrolled in the free and reduced lunch program are not identifiable right no one knows when you're going through the line you know if you have money in your account or where that money comes from that you put in your number and it puts up a like a a square or a circle or a triangle or something like that Mm -hmm. um and only the lady sitting at the computer knows what it means so i mean i just i feel like they're doing a really fantastic job and they're trying to be really they're trying to come up with more ways to get people um to enroll because i think i think part of i think part of the issue is that um parents are concerned that their children will be singled out if they're enrolled in the free and reduced lunch program so then they're just not enrolling them even though they could use that support right right so the food services department is trying to think creatively about that to how, how do we get people to enroll it to not feel that stigma? Um, Which, I mean, that's something that we just didn't discuss during our talk about free lunches that how, like that is a a shame and a burden that those kids will carry with them that beyond the hunger in their stomach, uh, they have to carry that shame with them throughout the day. And that can also be a distraction from learning. Right. Right. But I, I mean, in Moorhead, I don't think that I don't think that that is happening. no, 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 absolutely. Right, but I understand, yeah. I understand Just a, what you're in, in the the broader conversation yeah. about uh, school lunches and whether yeah. or not that should be universalized. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes. So I mean, I I have I have done some concrete stuff. Um, I am dedicated. I'm in it for the long haul. You know, like I said, my kids are four and six, so we're going to be here for a while. And 
like I'm not leaving the Spanish immersion program, so <laughs> we'll be here. I think too that like I in in, in my job at, I'm we didn't talk about this. I work for the city of Fargo and community yeah, development. Ironically, yeah. yeah. Um, and so through that job, I have a direct experience working with various city agencies, community organizations, and nonprofits, bringing people together to tackle difficult issues. Um, you know, I was part of the planning team for Welcoming Week this year, and I mean, Welcoming Week is not um, solving the opioid epidemic, but you know, it was it was a, a pretty broad coalition of people who came together to plan that. Um, so I have some of the experience, I have you know the dedication, um, but also I feel like through this through this job specifically, I've also um, learned a lot about kind of the perspectives of you know people who have not necessarily had the same life experiences as I have and I I think that that's really valuable and important there were lots of uh, in the forum last night there were a couple questions that I like have thought about the like for the rest of the time because the answers just seemed some of the answers just seemed like they they didn't consider you know any of these other perspectives like one um one question about how to increase parental involvement was, you know, well, if it's important to you, you'll show up. And I just super oversimplifying yeah, people's exactly. lives. Yes, yeah. exactly. Because that's not, I don't think that that's true at all. Right. <laughs> yeah. That, there are all sorts of barriers to showing up just to, to yeah. you know, things, all sorts of things. It's, just like get a different job if you don't like the one that right. you have. It's not, right. It's not, it doesn't make sense. Right. Yeah. Or like the oversimplified version uh, response to how would you increase or how would you, um, you know, deal with mental health issues in school? Well, we'll just the, we'll just get the teachers more training. Uh, well, the teachers need to teach, and the teachers aren't therapists, mm-hmm. right? These are they can probably be components of the solution, but that's not a solution. Right. They, so yeah. I think I have, you know, the ability to kind of look to just to like recognize that issues are a little bit more complex than just like, Oh, we'll just get the teachers some training on how to recognize the signs and yep. All done. And we're Taken good. Care of. Yeah. Hey, look at that. <laughs> okay. So then the tough question, who, who would you say that you would vote for? Do you, I mean, I don't mm-hmm. know if you have someone in mind. But. I do. Um, I would vote for Amy Arell. So um, I sat near her last night, and her. I think that she seems like somebody who also has, like, th- who thinks about perspectives other than her own. Um, and she she's a nurse, so she you know works in pretty complex situations. So, right. Okay. I mean, you should vote for me. Right. If yeah, you're of course. not going to vote for me, you could vote for her. <laughs> she's she's great, too. Um, okay. Well, then, um, that's kind of all I had. Uh, is there any uh, – you have a website and mm-hmm. various social media and stuff, so mm-hmm. I'll let you okay. take that away. So you can check out my website at caraglow.com. Um, it's K-A-R-A-G-L-O-E. Dot com and my facebook page is facebook.com backslash grow with glow beautiful <laughs> all right um yeah i guess uh, unless you had anything else to add um oh yes let's talk about voting 
Yeah, of course. That, yeah. yeah. Um, early voting is happening now. You can um, go vote at Propsfield Education Center, which is 2410 14th Street South, I believe. Um, you just have to bring your ID. You can get registered to vote on the spot, so that's not a barrier. Perfect. You can um, anytime between eight and four thirty, or November seventh. That's you know you can always vote November seventh. Again, I think you just have to have your ID. So okay, and you can you know register to vote same day as well. Awesome. All right, Kara, thanks for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having fun. me. Yeah. Well, we'll be back sometime soon with another guest as always but uh yeah until then thanks for listening this was a chamber six media production you can subscribe to this podcast on itunes or any of your other favorite podcasting apps for videos podcasts short films and more visit www.chambersixmedia.com also be sure to like chamber six media on facebook twitter and instagram to keep up with everything we're doing Thanks for listening.